Hi, this is Ananda, President of the Hare Krishna Community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. We're going to talk today about the harvesting the garden of the heart. We're in the autumn season. It's kind of dreary, kind of rainy. And I was thinking when I was driving over, even though it's dreary and rainy, wait, first I have to say prayers. Oh, my Gyanadimarandasya, Gyananjana Salakaya, Chaksun Militam Hina, Tasmai Shigurave Nama, Namam Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prestaya Bhutale, Shimate Bhakti Vedanta Swamaniti Namane, Namaste Saraswate Deve, Gauravani Pracharine, Nirvishesha Sinyavadi Paschatya Deshatarine, Panchakalpataru Vyascha Kripa Shindu Vaevacha, Patitanam Pavanebio Vaishnavebio Namo Namaha, Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadha Shri Vasari Gaurabhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare So in autumn there's lots of rain, it's kind of dreary. But I was thinking when I was driving over that the the beautiful colors we see in the flowers in the spring and summer kind of get transferred to the leaves in the autumn season, the beautiful colors in the autumn leaves. This is ringing a bit. I don't know what to do about that. Um, but autumn is a time of harvest. It's a time of digging up what we've planted and examining it. Maybe you grew some potatoes or carrots or beets or something. Um, and it's time to dig those things up and take a look. What does our harvest look like? Uh, a time to sit down and take inventory of what we've done. What have we planted in our hearts during the hopeful spring and our active summer? So bhakti is like that. Bhakti is a seed that grows in the heart. What's the nature of the seed that we're personally trying to grow? What's the harvest that we're trying to get? What are we digging up from what we've planted before? So cultivating bhakti is like becoming a simple gardener to, in humility, to bend down low, to touch the earth. Humility kind of comes from the word, word uh, humus, the earth, the soil, the earth. And uh, yeah, digging up the heirloom seeds that have been handed down from expert gardeners of the soul digging up hidden treasures beneath the surface that are buried beneath the surface. Cultivation of the heart. It's a cultivation of the sweetest fruits of divine love, fruits of love of God. And here's a beautiful quote from Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita. Who is the gardener of this, these uh, seeds and these fruits? Lord Chaitanya brought the wish-fulfilling tree of bhakti, devotional service to the earth, and became its gardener. He sowed the seed and sprinkled upon it the water of his will. 
The fruits ripened and became sweet and nectarian. The gardener, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, distributed them without asking any price. All the wealth in the three worlds cannot equal the value of one such nectarian fruit of devotional service. The transcendental gardener, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, distributed handful after handful of fruit in all directions. And when the poor, hungry people ate the fruit, the gardener smiled with great pleasure and said, I am only one gardener. How many places can I go? How many fruits can I pick and distribute? It would certainly be a laborious task to pick fruits and distribute them alone. And still I suspect that some would receive them and others would not. So he says, I am merely a gardener. I have neither a kingdom nor very great riches. I simply have some fruits and flowers. The fruit of love of God is so tasteful that wherever a devotee distributes it, those who relish the fruit anywhere in the world become intoxicated. This is Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita. So to cultivate bhakti, it's cultivating an inner garden of our hearts. The cultivation is compared to a, a tender, wish-fulfilling creeper. It's a vine that leans in to wind around our source, Sri Krishna, the tree of all life. So what does that mean, to, to try to grow a garden and to harvest this garden in your heart? It's like a, a, a leaf that's connected to the branch is green and full of chlorophyll. But a leaf that's disconnected from the branch turns brown and dry. Or a fruit that's fallen to the ground is disconnected from its source of life and it shrivels and dries up. So in the same way, when we're separated from our source, when we're isolated, we feel an existential loneliness and often an alienation. But in bhakti, our hearts are meant to bloom, to fructify, fructify as delicious, tasty fruits and fragrant flowers and joy. And the cultivation of bhakti is, is compared to the greening or the awakening of the soul, giving pleasure to our source, Sri Krishna, but also feeling the, the pleasure of that same connectedness and interconnectedness with all living beings, experiencing that joy ourself. So I want to explore this metaphor in four parts. Maybe you can um, try to file them in your brain as I go through them. So the first one, part one, is a weed is a flower in the wrong pot. Got that? If you're trying to grow, for example, zucchini, then something else in the zucchini patch is a weed. So what are you growing? What is your ultimate goal? Um, If we want a successful harvest, we have to begin with a clear vision of the end in mind. If I'm growing zucchini, something else is in the patch, I might pull it up as a weed, but it, it might have value in another place, in a different season, a different time, or a different context. Remember the story of the ugly duckling? She was a misfit. She was being judged as ugly, but actually she was a swan. She was meant for a much higher life, a higher destiny that others couldn't see. 
So what are you hoping to grow in your personal heart? Maybe to go to the spiritual world at the end of this life? Do you have a purpose that others don't see? Is it love, compassion, maybe selfless service to Lord Krishna and his devotees? Do you aspire to be the change you hope to see in the world? Are you wishing for maybe more authentic relationships? Do you want to teach, maybe teach children or teach yoga? Do you seek realizations in knowledge? But maybe if you don't really know what you're seeking, maybe just by the practice of cultivating this garden of the heart, you'll get a sweet surprise. But my point is that even on this high path of bhakti, our ultimate goals may vary. What inspires me in the realm, even in the realm of devotion, might be very different from what inspires you. Each of us is as unique as a snowflake. We're all individuals with our own sacred individuality as seeds with different potentials, different gifts, different capabilities in our hearts. But all of our many thirsts can be quenched by the sweet tastes of the fruits of bhakti. So that's some thoughts on part one, right? Here's part two. A rose flower planted in one place will grow or behave differently from a rose planted in another place. Some things might be the same, but some may not. So this is really speaking to the importance of environment, sacred space, or a space that sustains me personally. For example, if I plant roses in Mumbai, they're going to behave differently from roses that I might plant in Potomac or Arizona or somewhere else. So our environment, cultivating a sacred space in which to grow and thrive. One plant's food is another plant's poison. And wise gardeners need help of expert mentor gardeners to see what applies here in my garden and what does not. Our environment is important. What do I need to live in to grow a healthy bhakti creeper in my heart? And someone from outside my garden might lean over the garden fence and say, hey, this is what you need to grow your garden. But that just might not resonate with me or feed my soul the way it feeds theirs or their grandmothers or grandfathers in other places and other times. So how do we test this soil of bhakti to see um, if it's thriving? Is, is the soil too rich or too loamy? Choose your association wisely and be complemented and strengthened in your faith by people who really feed your spirit. Make it sacred. Make it your own. Make it personal. Bhakti is imminently personal. Help it to sustain you. Sacred space. What is complementary in one place and time may be destructive in another. In bhakti, we're meant to seek the essence and honor the individual needs of everyone on, on the path. To aspire to cultivate the right environment and right sangha that's best for each of us to grow spiritually. So, part three, growing complementary plants together. Frag fragrance, flower, flavor, yield are all enhanced by complementary planting. Are any of you gardeners here? Raise your hand if you're a gardener. Some of you are gardeners, right? Deva Prasta sitting here. I learned so much of this from Deva Prasta. So um, some, of, some of what he taught me is coming next. 
But the Native American people were very wise about complementary plantings. They have a saying, they, they talk about three sisters. I don't know if you've heard this before, but corn and beans and squash were called by the Native American people to be three sisters. First, they would plant the very tall corn that would grow up straight toward the sun and then plant beans to grow around it. And then they would plant squash that with its broad leaves, it would cover the ground and shade the soil. So the three of them would enhance each other's yield and flavor. And it's so interesting because it's very different from what we see today. If you're out driving in your car, you're probably going to see you know, acres and acres of lonely corn or lonely soybeans just growing all by themselves out there. Just acres and acres. It's so different, right? Another example is when you grow a flower called clematis or clematis. It requires a shady root. So you have to plant something called, something called or something similar to lady's mantle at its base. And that way the, the roots are shaded and the uh, flower can grow very well. So here's something I learned from Dave Aprosta, who's sitting right here. This is amazing. Everyone knows how yummy basil and tomatoes are together when we eat them. Add a little mozzarella, maybe vegan mozzarella, but so yummy together. But did you know that when you grow tomatoes and basil together, more will come out and the flavor will be greater? Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. I have a friend actually who planted some basil kind of over here in the corner of her garden. And then it popped up over next to the tomatoes. Just, she didn't even put it there. It just popped up there. So, so interesting. Did you know this one? I learned this uh, at our retreat that we just had in, in New York, that uh, jewelweed is the antidote to poison ivy. Did you know that? And they always grow next to each other. If you get poison ivy, look for jewelweed. And it's growing right next to the poison ivy. So on the path of bhakti, we're advised to cultivate other families of three sisters in our hearts. Enthusiasm, patience, confidence. Srila Prabhupada says, endeavor executed with intelligence is enthusiasm. So enthusiasm is needed for every successful action. Every action also needs to be tempered by patience. Gardening and gardening of the heart requires patience, daily care, and consistency. Showing up every day to give water, to pull the weeds that invari invariably grow up. Trusting and having confidence that if I care carefully, one day the seed that I planted so long ago will come up and sprout and give flowers or fruits or shade. So what about another three sisters? Hearing, chanting, remembering the sacred name, form, qualities of Sri Krishna that give us a taste to grow beyond the covering of this material universe. And three more sisters given by Lord Chaitanya, humility, tolerance, simplicity. But what about plants that aren't so complementary? In bhakti, we talk about weeds that choke the fragile creeper of devotion. And sometimes a weed looks so much like the plant I'm trying to grow that we actually pull up the actual plant and cultivate the weed in its place. This is especially dangerous for someone who's trying to cultivate or trying to walk the spiritual garden path. What are some of the dangerous choking weeds that we might find in our bhakti garden? Speaking inimically against anyone, especially someone on the spiritual path. 
hypocrisy or saying one thing, doing another, not walking my talk, causing harm to myself or others, false pride or having a false sense of my own importance, wanting some adoration or wanting to be considered advanced on the spiritual path. These are some unwanted weeds that, we, that can actually really deceive us. But there's another uh, pair of deadly weeds that can wreak havoc in our internal garden. Shame and blame. Here's what the great Vietnamese Buddhist teacher Thich Nhat Hanh says about shame and blame. He says, when you plant lettuce, if it does not grow well, you don't blame the lettuce. You may look for reasons it is not doing well. It may need fertilizer or more water or less sun. You never blame the lettuce. Yet, if we have problems with our family or friends, we blame the other person. But if we know how to take care of them, we will grow, they will grow well like the lettuce. Blaming has no positive effect at all, nor does trying to persuade using reason and argument. That is my experience, he says. No blame, no reasoning, no argument, just understanding. And if you show that you understand, you can love and the situation will change. So here's part four. To be nourished, to flourish, we require good earth, good rain, and good sun. Nourishment, sustenance, and inspiration. So first of all, good earth. We need to be fed at our roots by rich black dirt, Nice fat earthworms. You kids like earthworms? You like worms? Do your parents teach you to throw them back in the ground on a rainy day, not to get them out of the driveway so they don't get smushed? Right? Nice fat earthworms, organic nutrients. So when we grow in love, we grow in gratefulness. And at our roots, we need gratefulness for all our teachers who've come before us. Bhakti is the yoga of loving service, the yoga of gratitude, and without gratitude, love is impossible. And gratefulness is a type of a dirt. It's a type of a soil in which pride does not easily grow. And there's not room in the same heart, in the same garden, for both gratefulness and alienation. So if you're feeling isolated and you're feeling alienated, maybe look toward increasing your gratitude proportionately. We need like-minded friends and mentors on the path who can nourish and sustain the deep soil of our hearts in the deepest and most profound and lasting ways. Here's a poem by my dear friend Ananda Vrindavan. Did you know she's a poet? She's a great educator, a great temple president. She's also a poet. Okay, so here's a poem she wrote. Uproot yourself, this is the name, uproot yourself before life does it to you, rudely and when you least expect it. Slowly loosen the roots by the daily process of chanting. Break the soil of lifetimes of conditioning that make us think we belong here. Crack the hard earth that packs the roots by hearing about Krishna. Shake off through service the deep roots of desire for name and fame in this temporary place. So that when the time comes and the storm of death blows through our life, 
we will easily let go. We will not struggle to hold on to the small things of this world, which keep us from bigger places and better things. Uproot yourself and let yourself go home. So what about rain? Rain is a blessing, blessing rain. Farmers call it blessing rain. So our unquenchable thirst can be quenched by good blessing rains of the wisdom of holy books, sadhus, great gurus and teachers. Here's something from Shakespeare, Ananda's from Ireland, so here's another person from the UK. Shakespeare says, The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesses him that gives and him that takes. So beautiful, huh? If you give mercy, receive mercy, both are blessed. And what about sun? We can gain light, enlightenment from the good sun rays. Prabhupada put on the, right on the masthead of his Back to Godhead magazine, Krishna Surya Sama Maya Haya Andakar. Krishna is the sun, Maya is like darkness. Lean into the Krishna sun and Maya will not touch you. And what about the great Vedic aphorism, maybe most of you know? Asatoma Satgamaya, Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya, Mitturyorma Amrita Gamaya. Lead me from the unreal to the real, from darkness to light, from death to immortality. Come away from the darkness, go to the light, be nourished and be illumined by the light. So this is actually the prayer of everyone, everything that's alive, right? Plants grow to the light. We should also grow to the light. We can gain light, enlightenment from the good sun rays of Krishna consciousness. So these are some thoughts on four principles of sustainable gardening in our hearts. What are you harvesting this autumn? And um, some thoughts on cultivating the tiny bhakti creeper that's beginning to grow in our hearts. So just to, in conclusion, I'm going to um, re- mention again the four points that I made. P- part number one, what are you trying to grow in the garden of your heart? A weed is a flower in the wrong pot. What, what are the ultimate goals of your practice? Part two, the importance of environment. A rose planted in Mumbai is going to grow differently from a rose planted in Potomac or Arizona or somewhere else. Part three, flavor, fragrance, and yield will be enhanced by complementary plantings. Sacred friendships on our path. So important to have sacred, trusted friendships. And part four, to be nourished or to flourish, to be inspired, we need good earth, good rain, and good sun. Thank you all so very much. Hare Krishna. So we have time for questions. What are your thoughts? Maybe if you have a reflection, something that would be a takeaway for you. Gopi. You're a gardener. She grows a lot of, you grow a lot of, um, what's the main thing you grow? Kale. Kale, lots of kale. There's a mic coming. You can make yummy things out of kale. My sister makes crispy kale. She puts 
<laughs> olive oil on it, then she puts it in the oven and it becomes like potato chips. <laughs> it seems like the fourth point and even the second point, um, it does matter then, the material circumstances that we are in for a bhakti bead, your seed, to actually grow. And sometimes it feels like karma and destiny doesn't always provide. Like if you throw a seed when it's a really dry, droughted area, yes, you have to water. We know the chanting does that. But what you was, also. What did you say? You said the chanting, like waters the, the seed. Yes, but yeah. I, I also took away, and maybe you can clarify. You know, you're saying a little bit about rain and the right conditions or, you know, if you're in Mumbai or if you're in here or if you're there, it's, it's going to look slightly different. Mm -hmm. um, I, I liked those two analogies, but it does seem like external circumstances seem to affect the growing process. Um, and they are material circumstances sometimes. They seem, you know, I've seen that with other people. It just, they don't have the, either it be the material, uh, just survival, or the circumstances in their life, the mature needs that pull them away. I mean, I, sometimes it feels like karma does affect our ability to be able to take to Krishna consciousness or the seed growing as I, fervently as some others. That's I, I want you to mention, talk yeah. about that. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I, I think it's so important. Um, environment is so important. There are certain things we can change, and we always have our choice. At every moment, we're making choices. I love the airplane airplane example that's sometimes given. That, say, for example, if you're on a, an airplane and it's flying to L.A., barring any emergency, that plane is land, going to land in L.A. But while you're on the plane, you have so many choices of how you can use your time. Choices at every moment. You can read a, you know, a, a magazine. You can read a good book. You can have a conversation with someone sitting next to you. You can make a, a business connection with someone. You can decide that you're going to maybe light your shoe on fire, try to bomb the plane. There's so many choices you have while you're on that plane. So we are response-able. We are given a certain set of circumstances. Within those circumstances, we can make choices at every moment. So I think that's important to remember. And, and one of those choices is choosing my association. What does inspire you? And I really wanted to make the point that what, what inspired my grandfather, maybe he was a good devotee, but maybe what inspired him is not exactly what inspires me. So we are um, in our own circumstance, in our own time and place and context, and what inspires us may be different from what inspires someone else. So we need that complementary association. We need to be fed. But then, you know, I was reminded when you were asking your question of, of Lord Chaitanya just throwing out these seeds of bhakti. He didn't care who was a fit candidate and who was not. He was just like, remember Johnny Appleseed? Ever hear about him? He was just throwing out these apple seeds. And, and sometimes it's described in Shastra that, that the rain falls on the ocean, on rocks. Why? You know, why doesn't the rain just fall here on this place? That needs? No, it's magnanimous. So Lord Chaitanya's mission is magnanimous. And it just, those seeds are just thrown everywhere. And sometimes they, they fall on 
on dry, on dry hearts, but sometimes those hearts also can fructify after a while, which is really an interesting thing. You know, you hear these stories of book distribution that someone got a book and he threw it in the garbage and then the garbage man took it out of the garbage and took it home and put it on a shelf and then his son read it and became a devotee. You know, amazing stories. So, yeah, even when those seeds fall on, on dry hearts or dry soil, they can still fructify by the mercy of Krishna and by the hungry, hungry thirst people have. It's a beautiful question. Thank you so much. Anybody else have a question or a reflection? What was a takeaway for you? Maybe you don't have a question, but what, what are you going to take home from this? Yes. Thank you so much for your class. I uh, really appreciated um, several points and they resonated with me. Um, my question is, how do I know I'm growing the right creeper? Um, as you mentioned, sometimes the weed can look like the right plant and one may uproot the, the actual creeper to nurture the weed. Mm -hmm. So what kind of, um, I guess, messages or validation can I get and who do I get it from? All right. That's a great question. Thank you so much. So just like if we can continue the metaphor of gardening, a gardener will maybe look up online, what does this little plant look like when it's just got two leaves or four leaves? We have to gain knowledge. And we gain knowledge from sadhu, shastra, and guru, from holy people, from all over the world, from the holy scriptures, Study Bhagavad Gita, study Srimad Bhagavatam, and, and sharpen that sword of knowledge so you can recognize what's good, what's helpful, what's good association, so that a little bell will go off in your brain if you're with one of your friends and they start to criticize or judge, you know, and that little bell will go off, wait a minute, this is not good association, even though this is my best friend, you know, so by gaining knowledge. And we gain knowledge from, from those sources. That's what we come here for. Sadhu Shastra Guru. Choose your friends wisely. Um, choose friends who will, who will give you wisdom and knowledge and enlightenment. And even, you know, sometimes our best friends, we can also misuse our time with them. You know, tell me something that inspired you. Prema Tarangani, where she, she's in the corner. She's a great one. Make friends with Prema Tarangani. Because she'll always send you nectar into your WhatsApp box, you know? So choose your friends wisely. And, and uh, you know, the time is so finite in this world, right? It's unbelievable what a short amount of time we have. And this is the loophole, the human form of life. We can go back to Godhead at the end of this life. This is what Prabhupada promised. Or we can go elsewhere. We can go up, down, anywhere. Yes. Another question. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mataji. Um, you're talking about gratitude and love. Last week I was asked uh, in an university I'm preaching, so somebody, she shoots multiple questions at the same time. I don't know how she does it, but one of that is she in the stages of bhakti there is no gratitude no mention of gratitude so mm. why are you emphasizing 
because it's at every stage it is. Every stage. Actually, Gratitude. yeah. Yeah. So if if you keep an eye out for the word gratitude, you'll find it in many places in Srila Prabhupada's purports in all through Srimad Bhagavatam. Prabhupada explains in one place that gratitude is one of the elements of knowledge and only a fool is not grateful to his benefactors. So if you, like personally, sometimes I like to say that I'm on a treasure hunt for, through Prabhupada's books and through everywhere, um, for quotes about gratitude, because gratitude is the beginning of bhakti. Without gratitude, as I said, love is impossible. Um, gratitude is the lobby to the palace of bhakti, mm -hmm. and there's no back door. And um, it's just so important, you know, to be grateful to everything that's come before us. She's, she's a deep person, huh? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was surprised by her inference, like, yeah. her, so what is the emphasis on gratitude? So yeah, beautiful. Yeah. She's beautiful. Um, I think about the redwoods, you know, I, I wanted to talk yeah. about redwood trees. Did you know that redwood trees are, are maybe the tallest trees and the oldest trees on earth? And they, have, they, they grow in very shallow soil. Their roots are very shallow. Can you believe it? And as soon as a baby redwood grows up, pops out of the ground, it immediately winds its little baby roots around the roots of the other bigger trees so that every tree in a redwood forest is either directly or indirectly connected to every other tree in the redwood forest. So community, you know, gratitude for community. So amazing. And then another redwood um, example I want to give. Sometimes we think, well, yeah, but it's just so hard. I have so much suffering in my life, so many problems for my family, my husband, my wife, my children, you know. But um, sometimes those problems are, are the very things that crack open the seeds of our heart. So this other redwood example that I want to give is that, have you heard this story before? That the forest rangers out in California were finding that not many new redwood trees were growing up. There were lots of old ones in the forest, but their new ones weren't growing, and they were trying to figure out why. And they found that the answer was that they were taking such good care of the forest in preventing forest fires that, um, that new redwoods weren't growing because the redwood seed is very hard, and it needs the, the heat of fire to crack it open. So then when the seed cracks open and all the brush is burnt away and there's a, a, like a bed of ash in the forest, the little cracked open seed can nestle into that bed of nutritious ash. And because the brush has been burnt, the little redwoods can kind of get a few, not too much, but just a few sun rays in order to grow up. And in this way, new redwood trees can grow. So sometimes we think, oh, I gotta prevent all this suffering, I gotta enjoy and I gotta avoid suffering. But sometimes we learn most from the suffering experiences. We have the deepest realizations. Is there another way? Maybe not, but um, we do learn best that way. Yes, Gauravani. Don't forget, pick up your flyer. Uh, if you haven't been to India a hundred times. <laughs> Um, I guess uh, maybe my question to follow up to Gopi's, uh, Gopi's uh, uh, inquiry. 
It seems like okay, if you go to like the southwest United States, they grow certain kinds of plants in the gardens there, right? Because it's dry and sunny. And if you come to Maryland, there's certain plants that grow here. So as a devotee, it seems like we're all kind of trying to grow the same plants, but our environments are so different, you know, depending on our family or our work or our sangha or our whatever, our travel or whatever. So how, how is it possible for us to all grow these things that we're trying to nurture with such different circumstances? I guess what I'm saying is that in my opinion, things are growing differently. Like for example, you take bhakti that Srila Prabhupada brought to the Western world. Srila Prabhupada tried some things and sometimes he would put those things aside. Sometimes they worked, sometimes they didn't in this new different soil. So it's very interesting when, when the movement of Lord Chaitanya takes root in another climate, some things work and some things don't work. And that's the brilliant wisdom and realization of the great acharyas, what to jettison and what to keep. So I guess, in my opinion, things are different. You know? yeah. I mean, at, at its essence, it's the same but maybe the behaviors and how we grow up those strong creepers of devotion will be very different. Um, so, then, so then it would seem that you're saying that part of our job as devotees, aspiring devotees, is to learn how to shift our practice of bhakti in a way that's most uh, um, apropos to our circumstances and that it may be completely different than the way someone else is doing it. Well, I would propose consult with wise teachers, consult with wise mentors. You know, what, what is essential? What is the essence? What's meant to be kept? And what maybe doesn't work in your particular circumstance? Like when you were asking your question, I was thinking of being in Tirupati. And one lady there in, in the Iskhan temple, she was saying, ladies don't dance in Tirupati. Ladies don't dance. I said, I saw some ladies dancing. She said, no, they're from North India. <laughs> so, you know, maybe it works for those ladies in Tirupati to not dance. Maybe they feel nurtured in their devotional service by, by not dancing. But personally, I think it's a good thing to dance in Washington, D.C. <laughs> yes, Gopi? It, it would seem, though, as well, when we're actually, you talked about different places, but that also applies to different eras and Definitely. our ability to be able to um, kind of cultivate somebody else's creeper. And I feel like this is a the biggest challenge, actually, because the times have changed. And um, in one sense now, it's like what it looks like. It's looking so different, so therefore even some of the older advice or what we're trying to create is, it's not blueprintable in the same way, well, it exactly. It, I, think, I think what you're doing downtown is a perfect example. Someone may come in, maybe someone comes from South India or a, a more traditional place and walks into your yoga studio 
and says, oh, this isn't bhakti. What is this? You know, this is all maya. But yet, look how many people you're bringing to the path of bhakti by the way you're teaching. So how that's done, what should be accepted and what should not be accepted, I think, you know, it's not as though we're all independent actors, I think. And I think you do this. Consult with wise teachers, people you consider mentors on the path, and say, hey, you know, what do you think? I was thinking of trying this at the studio. I was thinking of having prashadam every Saturday. Do you think that's a good idea? Of course, you know. Or I was thinking that we're going to, you know, give away clothes to the homeless ladies down the block. Is that good? Why not, you know? So consult with, with wise mentors, and that's my point. I mean, that's one of my main points. It may not look the way it looked to your grandfather or your grandmother back in India, but it may be pure bhakti here in Washington, D.C. I think that's part of the genius of, of what's going on in this temple that's maybe different from other temples. Gauravani again. Gopi and I are double-teaming you here. Yeah, I know. Keeping the mic away from Palika Prabhu. <laughs> who... No, I actually, I just, this is kind of a comment now, okay. because I, I hear an interesting dialogue going on between these points and what you're saying, and I think this is just a comment, you can speak to it if you'd like, that maybe Srimad Bhagavatam and all of the great scriptures are examples of devotees finding different ways to bring the essential bhakti to life in varying circumstances. Yeah. And that actually that's what we see in all the scriptures, everything including Bhagavad Gita's. Oh, how do you do bhakti now at the edge of a battlefield? Oh, how do you do bhakti exactly. when you're being forced to take birth as a deer? And how do you do bhakti when you... So, Cursed to be a, in the body of a demon. Right, right, right. So I, I, I guess the comment that I'm making is that it seems like we're being invited that Gopi said that these times are different than those times. But these times are different now, but they may again go back to being the way it was before. And so, in other words, it's not that bhakti is, it was here, and now it's evolved, and it's here. So it's that bhakti's constantly in an evolution, yeah. and it's all constantly returning to its essential nature. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Um, yeah, and I think it's, you know, again, I just want to emphasize, it's not that we make this stuff up. We consult with wise teachers and wise mentors who, who really have a vision, real acharyas who have a vision of how it's meant to be taught uh, in this very place and context. And I just wanted to say one other thing, if I can. Um, I was having this conversation the other day with someone who was saying, you know, only the books, Prabhupada's books are important, and these stories about Prabhupada are not important. But I was saying, you know, the person Bhagavat is as important as the book Bhagavat. So both are important. And uh, so then this person was saying, you know, so someone was saying anecdotes aren't important. But, but then this person was saying, you know, the whole Srimad Bhagavatam is actually anecdotes. <laughs> it's all stories. It's like, okay, here's an anecdote about Sukadev Goswami and his father. Here's one about, um, you know, Vidura. So it's, it's so beautiful to think that the whole, our whole scripture is anecdotal. Yeah, thank you all so very much. Uh, we have a few minutes, so speaking of stories and anecdotes and the, the person Bhagavat, could you leave us with one or two sweet stories of Prabhupada and some interaction you had with him? Okay. Do you all agree? <laughs> okay. Um, let me think. Um, you want a funny one? or? Okay. The <laughs> The funny one I like to tell is 
This took place after a Ratha Yatra in Berkeley, California, when, um, yeah, there had just been a Ratha Yatra. So one of the illustrators of Prabhupada's books, one of the BBT artists, pulled a copy of Teachings of Lord Chaitanya off the shelf in the room, and he said, Prabhupada, when we see pictures of Lord Chaitanya, we see that he had very long hair. And Prabhupada would, would answer a question, he would answer the mentality with which the question was asked, more than the question itself. So he said, he could understand the mentality of the person who was speaking that, why are you making us shave our heads when Lord Chaitanya had long hair? You know? So Prabhupada, hearing that question, Prabhupada said, yes, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he was hippie. <laughs> and then he said it was hilarious and then he said therefore he has come to save you but because of his Bengali accent um, you know in Bengali the S's are more or less all S-H so we weren't sure if Prabhupada was saying save you or shave you <laughs> so Prabhupada picked up on that and he was laughing so much and he said save you and shave you. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has come to save you and shave you, save you and shave you. <laughs> One more. One more, okay. Okay, um, let's see. Okay. Well, I'll tell you my one very, very fa most favorite story of Prabhupada. I don't know if you've heard it before, but this is my really favorite one. So there's a devotee, if you go to New York, he's there at the morning program at the Bhakti Center. His name is Adi Purusha. So he came to Krishna consciousness in New Vrindavan, kind of a spaced out young guy. He'd lost his driver's license, lost his shoes, and they gave him the service of guarding, being the night guard, the Chokidar, in Prabhupada's house. Prabhupada was staying in a little house for his little time there, away from the temple. So this young man was doing the guarding. He was outside. And he was hearing Prabhupada uh, speaking upstairs in his room. The light was on. And he was so charmed hearing Prabhupada. And he, he thought, yeah, so he was hearing Prabhupada's voice. And he said, he said to himself, oh, Prabhupada's reading his own books. Then he realized, because of the clicking of the dictaphone, that Prabhupada was dictating his translations. So he was so charmed. And then it, became, it started to rain a little bit. So he went into the attached garage. And he was doing his service from in there. And then, all of a sudden, he felt a presence behind him in the garage. And he turned around, and there was Srila Prabhupada right behind him in the garage. And so he immediately offered his obeisances, bowed down, and he stood up and said what all of us would say, Srila Prabhupada, is there any service I can do for you? And Srila Prabhupada said the most amazing thing. So file this in the computer of your brain, because it's so important. So Prabhupada said, yes, you can go where I will not go. And he was so shocked because here's Prabhupada at Nuvrindavan. He'd just been in Chicago, Dallas, San Francisco, Tokyo, and he's on his way to New York, London, Paris, Germany. He said, but Prabhupada, where is it that you won't go? And Prabhupada said, here, here it is, to the future. And, and by the way you treat the people there, they will know how much Krishna loves them. So it's so beautiful. So you're all people of the future. 
So it's up to you to show everyone how much Krishna loves them. Haribo. Thank you so much.